Yes, people, welcome back to Process today. We are joined by a very, very special guest, one of my clients who I can't wait to talk to because we've been talking about it for a while. Joanna Bartwith, welcome to the podcast. Hello, 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 hello. It's, it's nice to be here. It's, yeah, it's good to be here. Nice to see you, too. I know, it's been, it's been about what, like two months since we last talked well, really yeah. about doing this podcast because your story, I'm, obviously we've talked about it previously when we've been doing gym sessions and stuff, but mm. brief background, how I met Joe. I'm not call you, I don't know why I introduced you as Joanne. I never call you Joanna, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I used to work at Nuffield Health. Joe was a collector. So you used to previously go to Shipley. It was a Shipley one. Shipley, Shipley yeah. Nuffield Health. You ended up coming up to... What was the reason that you came up? Um, I work in the NHS and one once the NHS, because of the pandemic, they made everybody wear face masks. I'm massively, massively claustrophobic and I cannot wear a face mask. It just brings me out in all sorts of shades of panic and it's just awful. So I had to relocate up to my boyfriend's in the Northeast um, because which we'll get into a little bit later. I can't look after myself on my own because I'm disabled. So I moved in with my boyfriend, Chris, and the nearest gym was therefore Gosforth rather than Shipley. So mm-hmm. I transferred to Gosforth and yeah. met Brendan. There we go, and the rest is history. The rest, rest is history. <laughs> rest is history. But uh, yeah, I'll let you explain your story and okay. yeah, take it from there. Right. Well, I'm, as Brenda said, I'm Jo. I'm 48 years old and I work in the NHS. In 2003, I was diagnosed with MS, um, which was a bit rubbish. It was at the end of my very first triathlon season. Uh, So I'd done a whole season. I think I'd done about four or five triathlons, just sprint distant ones, so short ones. Um, And I was getting on really well. I was really enjoying it. And I started to the very tips of my toes and then up along the soles of my feet and then all the way up the outsides of my legs and up to my groin just went all pins and needly, um, which is obviously not right. So I went to see a physio and he said, I think you've got something called spondylolisthesis, which is a broken vertebrae. Um, he said, I want you to take this letter to the doctor in the morning and I want you to be referred to neurosurgeon right I guess you don't want me to go for my run tonight then he said nope do not do that go home rest do not do anything too dramatic with yourself um and go and see a GP so went to see my GP got referred to James Cook in Middlesbrough and all sorts of investigations later they decided that my, my spine was absolutely fine but I had MS so yay um so it kind of really made me reevaluate my life in its entirety at that stage. Um, I was married at the time and my husband and I just completely reevaluated everything. We decided that we'd just do carry on doing much more active things because the thing with MS is you don't really know what trajectory it's going to take. Some people can be very mildly affected. Some people can be quite badly affected very quickly. So there was no, this is what's going to happen to you. It's just a case of suck it and see. And the medical profession were very much like, well, you've got MS, off you go. Don't really have anything for you. Off you go. Um, So off I went um, and stayed as active as I could. Um, I carried on doing triathlons. um, So training for that, decided to buy a horse. 
um, because I learned to ride as a very small child. I was about three or four when I learned to ride and then gave it up when boys became more interesting than horses, um, which was, you'd be pleased to know, about 16 or 17, not, not too young. Um, so I bought a horse so that I could ride because it's something I really enjoyed doing when I was a child and I didn't know how long my MS would allow me to do that. So I bought a horse. Um, I carried on ballroom dancing with my husband, learnt to cross-country ski, learnt to indoor climb, carried on doing triathlons, went on swimming holidays, went on skiing holidays, cross-country skiing holidays, not downhill skiing, um, triathlon training, camp holidays, just generally tried to stay as active as I could um, and just basically decided to carry on doing everything that I wanted to do and not put it off until tomorrow because I didn't know what was going to happen in my future mm -hmm. so yeah that's kind of what I did yeah so that's how I was diagnosed and once that once the pins and needles had all gone away um, I re reverted to being completely normal and you never know that I had it because I was obviously doing triathlons and things I had to declare on race registration that I had MS just in case anything happened um, but other than that, I just carried on living my life and just prioritised things, I guess, changed the way that I wanted to do things, I suppose, just didn't put things off. Yeah. Because I didn't know what was, was going to happen. How did you deal with that? Like, well, obviously, mentally, it would have been horrendous, but knowing that you, were fe you feel fine now, but knowing that things are going to progressively get worse that you find in your triathlon. How did you, was it something that it's like you put to your back of your mind just forget about it and try and get on with life? Or was it yeah, always it, kind of like every so often it was like, it's like when like, everyone gets that kind of feeling like, oh God, we're going to, we're going to die one day, but you forget about it and put the back. Is it this similar sort yeah, of? Yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. It, but it's a bit more like, like that on steroids really, because every time I did a race, I had to declare, to the people that I had, to the race organisers that I had MS. So I had to say it out loud several times during the year. Um, and if my MS started as relapsing, remitting. So I'd have relapses where I'd be a bit rubbish and then I'd have go into remission where I'd be fine. So I had maybe one relapse a year um, where I would, um, when I remember I kind of lost my sense of balance that kind of went a bit wobbly so standing up was was a challenge and certainly running and swimming were were difficult um but i didn't have very much time off work because often the symptoms that i had were sensory so i would lose a sensation in my feet or i'd lose a little bit of, of the feeling in a leg or something and that doesn't stop you if you've got no feeling in your feet you can't feel your blisters crack on <laughs> Um, so I just kind of went on, carried on with doing stuff like that. I didn't take any time off. I only took time off work and training and stuff when I genuinely couldn't, couldn't train. Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember all the relapses I had because they were just, I was a relapse, off you go. I did, but I didn't have very many compared to some people. Some people have a lot of relapses, mm -hmm. but I didn't. And I, I genuinely think that keeping myself fit and active really helped with staving off as much of the disability as as possible mm -hmm. I when new... i was a child Sorry. i wasn't very wasn't very active i used to ride as i used to ride a pony i had a pony as a child i was very lucky um but i didn't really do running and cycling and stuff 
because my knees were so so painful. So in my early 20s, I had lateral releases on both my knees because my kneecaps were out of position. Um, and then that allowed me to be able to do things like play hockey without being in absolute agony. And I was goalie in hockey. Okay. So that's my target practice, basically, <laughs> for everybody else. Um, and then I, I learned to run, I learned to run. I, I ran sort of, sort of as training rather than just being able to run because um, my knees were no longer painful. And then a few years later, you get diagnosed with MS. You think, well, I probably could have got away with not having my knees operated on, but, you know, here we are. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like oh, yeah. when you were diagnosed, you just kind of took everything up a notch, like took the training? Did you, was there a kind of a, not like a realisation, but like maybe I really want to do this certain thing? Or was it kind of like, right, me, me keep myself really busy doing all these sports is kind of keep my mind occupied? How, how was it I've, for you? I really wanted to use my physicality for as long as I could. So I wanted to carry on doing active things and I didn't want to let the EMS stop me doing anything just because I was scared of what it might do. I was more scared of of it affecting my physicality and not being able to do things mm -hmm. than actually trying to do new things. I'd, I'd just carry on and go, well, let's give it a go. If I don't like it, I don't like it. I don't have to do it again. But I just wanted to carry on doing active things because mm -hmm. I'd, I'd kind of realized that I enjoyed doing the triathlons and I enjoyed all of the activities I was doing so I, I didn't want the MS to stop me doing those things mm -hmm. so I just was a bit bloody minded and just carried on doing it and lots of people said to me oh you know I'm not sure you really should be doing all of this exercise because many years ago they the, the the general advice to people with MS was not to exercise, but now they've completely changed that and, and actually exercise and training and weight training and uh, cardiovascular stuff is, is much more encouraged mm -hmm. um, by the medical profession that they realize that actually it, it's the best thing you can do mm -hmm. for your body. So the longer you can use your physicality, they'll the better you will mm -hmm. be really and it'll help you walk and you know live your daily life doing stuff as as the, the, the as the disease progresses yeah well we've seen that first time in terms of our sessions because the more consistent we are with things the better we get like it's mm -hmm. been crazy yeah. the, the progress we made also yeah. we'll touch about what's happened recently but like we progress yeah. progress so yeah, much yeah, then then like the yeah. long periods of like the initial lockdowns and stuff killed us yeah um so yeah. it just goes to show how, how much it helps yeah possibly. it does Definitely. And there's only so much I can do at home. Um, it's not like I can just go outside for a run now. Obviously, people can't see how disabled I am just sat here, but I can't walk unassisted. I walk with a stick and I've got something called an FES, which um, electrically stimulates my foot to dorsiflex. Mm -hmm. So I can lift my toe off the floor so I can kind of sort of walk. Mm -hmm. um, and I've got a small little funky mobility scooter, which gets me around outside of the house so but you wouldn't necessarily know by, by looking at me here yeah you've got a few clips on instagram from our yeah, sessions because yeah. i put little clips on of our, yeah, our yeah. sessions so yeah. i'll put i'll put i'll tag you instagram if everyone wants to go and check the sessions out but yeah. you are capable to yeah. uh, doing quite a lot in terms of we're doing a lot of leg pressing like we'll touch on about what we're doing training wise mm -hmm. um a lot of core stuff which is something we're working on um going back mm -hmm. to obviously after you diagnosed, when did it start to get to a point where it started interfering with your triathlon and stuff like that? 
Um, I had a massive relapse in 2012 um, after my husband died. So, which is kind of understandable, really. It's, it was a very stressful, unpleasant, difficult period of my life. And the more stress you are under, the more likely you are for your body to be affected by the MS. It's very definitely a trigger. So work stress, life stress, you know, whatever stress it is, it's, you're much more likely to be affected by your symptoms. It definitely exacerbates my symptoms when I'm getting stressed. So I had a massive relapse. And um, after that, I didn't really come back to where I was before the relapse. So I lost um, a degree of, I couldn't run anymore, particularly. I could kind of jog from place to place, but I couldn't really go for a run because my, my legs would just not kind of keep up with themselves. It's difficult to describe. You just, they wouldn't move as I needed them to move to run, they wouldn't move quick enough to do it. Um, so that that stopped me running, didn't stop me swimming or riding a bike or anything, but it obviously would stop me doing triathlons. Um, but in, instead of instead of doing triathlons, decided to sign up to swim the channel as you do. As you do, which is why not? As you do on a Saturday afternoon, got nothing better to do. Um, in the January after my husband died in the September, some friends from the Isle of Man were putting together a team to swim to France, a six-person relay. So I said, oh, yeah, let's do that, because it gave me something to focus on in the future rather than sort of stressing about what was going on in my life at the time. So thankfully, the relapse in the April time after I'd started training for the channel didn't stop me swimming. I lost the ability to drive very temporarily because my eyesight went double vision. So I had double vision for a few weeks, about three or four weeks, I think. So I didn't drive because that wouldn't go well, um, but it didn't stop me swimming. So I just used to get the train from where I lived to Saltburn and swim in the sea or I'd get ask friends to take me to the sea and I'd do my training there. Um, so that didn't stop me doing the swimming but it did stop me doing other things after that relapse mm -hmm. i'm still it's amazing that you're still obviously worth trying to pursue things like the swimming like the triathlons and stuff even when you've got that because a lot of people well, let's be honest they're probably just be like you know what it's going to get worse anyway why so what's the point and do what's the might as well stop now some people yeah, have got that now, mindset shoot me now. <laughs> but the mindset that you've had like you, you can tell you like i know you well you're like a very bubbly outgoing person you kind of like take the piss out yourself occasionally with like certain things yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah you know what just I, I've, average school for a for a swim down the channel on the weekend as you do so <laughs> like little things like that it's like it's great to see that sort of mindset and if there's anybody who's going through similar things that like learning from yourself as an example is, you is for me you kind of can't i, I don't want to let it define who I am. Um, I've been through a reasonable amount of shit in my life and I've always come out the other side of it. I have a hundred percent success rate of surviving my days. So you know, I just kind of get on with it and I don't know how any other way to be. Lots of people have said to me that I'm, you know, I'm amazing and I'm inspirational and all the rest of it. I'm not, I'm just me. This is how I am. I don't know how else to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I was brought up to be fairly resilient and to just 
don't let the bastards get you down kind of yeah mindset so i just kind of go and do something um if i want to try and do it it's getting more and more difficult undoubtedly Mm -hmm. but i was swimming in a quarry on sunday um so i went up with a friend to near morecambe and we swam in a lake up there um, so I am still swimming outside, not the great long distances that I had to do for the channel, but I am still swimming. Yeah, I know, yeah, you've been doing quite a bit. I love that quote that you said before there, 100% success rate of surviving, you're surviving your days. But I need, I, need, I, need, I need to write that one down because that's something that, yeah. like, whenever, no matter what like, shit you're going through or whatever it is, just get through the day and get through the next day. Take it yeah. day by day and yeah, then yeah. no matter what. If you're if you saying that, then anybody else can, can 100% learn from that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's... I mean, not even necessarily day by day, hour by hour. Sometimes mm-hmm. that you you know you know yourself that you can have a really bad few hours. Uh, yesterday, I was feeling quite nauseous for some reason or other, and I just thought, oh, I just want to lie down and and just shut the world out. So I did for a little while, and then it passed. And you know, you kind of get up and move on and carry on doing what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah, you've survived a hundred percent of your days so far. Yeah, how was your how was your training for the for the channel swim? Was it mentally cold. very cold, cold more than anything? What was it? What were you? I say started in January. Part? It was yeah. cold. Yeah. Um, the toughest part was training tired. Mm-hmm. Um, because the 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 relay swim, there were six of us, six girls, and one person gets into swim for an hour, and then another person gets into swim for an hour, and so on until you've gone through the six of you. And then you just keep going through the six until you get to France or you stop, whichever is the sooner. Um, so some the longest time it's taken one, one person to swim from England to France is 28 hours. 28 hours. That was one person swimming continually for 28 hours. So you are going to swim exhausted. There is no doubt. And even as a relay team, you have to swim as hard as you can for an hour and then you have five hours off hard as you can for an hour five hours off but you're on a boat moving mm-hmm. yeah. very slowly so it's it's doing this and you know it, it and i i seasick was was a thing um so training tired was the hardest thing so i'd go to saltburn i'd go there for the, a day so i'd go and i'd swim for an hour in the morning i'd then get out I'd go and have a cup of coffee and a piece of cake and then I'd get back in again and do another hour and then I'd go and do the master's session at my the gym I was a member of at the time so so that would be an hour swimming in cold water followed by three or four hours break followed by another hour in cold water followed by a sprint session effectively mm-hmm. in a master's session so by the end of that day I was knackered yeah. And then sometimes I don't go and do a night shift as well because I was still doing night shifts at the time. So t- training tired was what I wanted to do. That was my my aim was I knew I could swim for an hour. Swimming for an hour in itself is not difficult once mm-hmm. you've trained for it. But I needed to be able to swim train tired so that when I came to do the swim on the day, I knew I could do three hours of swimming in um period of time yeah. and as it happened we only needed to swim twice because we were fast yeah we're good or rapid mm-hmm. fair, fair. are you one of the only people diagnosed with ms to, obviously there would have been people maybe in the early stages but the state you like the stage you were at 
to do something like that. I don't know if there's any anybody else who you know doing I, similar. I believe I am only the third person with MS to have ever spun the channel as a relay team. That's some achievement. There isn't any accurate figures kept of that sort of thing, um, mm. but as as I understand it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Going Nobody on. can take that away from me. There you go. Mm. I know. They should be definitely should be proud of it. I mean, be proud of it anyway. Yeah. Like yeah, I wouldn't yeah, do this yeah. from the channel. No, 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 no. The, the, the problem is, I know lots of friends. I have got lots of friends who have spun the channel solo. So it feels. I feel a bit like a fraud because <laughs> I've got friends who have spun it solo. You're definitely not a fraud. So trust me. Like, definitely not. Yeah, but, you know, I've just. You know, I've only I've only done it as a relay team, and they've done it solo. Yeah, just comp so got that competitive like nature. That's all it is. Com yeah, I, I suppose it's sort of a bit like imposter syndrome, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, 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 well, I feel like a fraud because yes, I've swum the channel, but you know, I know people who have done it solo, so that's much more of an achievement than swimming it. Yeah. As a relay team. You you must have always point of perspective. Yeah. You must have always loved the mental challenge, because for anybody who likes the sort of endurance races anyway, like your triathlons and stuff, like I can, well, I could probably do it, but I would hate every single minute of it. And I would probably do it once and never do it again. But some people that's repeat it. It's not that's my, because you only play ninety minutes of football or whatever it is. <laughs> when they start making football matches a bit longer, you will have you would have been no. fine. Hey, that's why I've retired. Endurance no, I couldn't. Football. I couldn't do the ninety minutes. Forty-five minutes, maybe, but uh, yeah, ninety then, minutes way too long. Way too long for me. Way, way too, long. too long. Yeah. I need a nap. Am I? Do I enjoy the long events? Um, I didn't. I only did the sprint distance tri triathlon. So they were seven hundred and fifty meter swim a 15k bike ride and then a 5k run of slight variations around about those distances sometimes the swim was shorter sometimes the run was a bit longer but I never moved up to the, the Olympic distance which is 1500 meters 20k and 10k mm -hmm. swim bike run I never moved up to that because the thought of running 10k six miles was just <laughs> not for me I was never a runner I was the swimming was always the thing that I was best at and I kind of held on for the bike and then everybody just overtook me on the run yeah running's never been my thing either 5k I've done a few 5k's the first lockdown and that was mm. that was a push that was a big yeah push. yeah it's three miles is yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the, first, the longest run I did was probably five miles mm -hmm. um but I didn't really enjoy that running that distance so I did the shorter things but yes it was it it was a huge sense of achievement to say that I'd done those three things in one day. Um, so now I did it. I did enjoy the triathlons. Yeah. No, I love that. Love that. Um, so moving on a little bit, when was Mexico and stuff? Is that quite a bit later on? Obviously we've touched on that. Uh, yes. Um, in uh, 2015, I was doing some research around MS and treatments for it because I wasn't on any treatments. There wasn't really any treatments that I'd been offered by the medical profession that were um, likely to give anything other than side effects. So I was doing my own research and I found something called HSCT, which is hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, um, which is where they give you chemotherapy to destroy your immune system. And then they give you your own stem cells back again to reboot that immune system so that you don't die of an infection in the, in the meantime. Um, and my professional training is in hematology and blood transfusion. 
and that's what HSCT is. It's it's it, in the realms of haematology and chemotherapy treatment for bone cancers. So it was it was a science that I understood, um, and I thought, Do you know what, that science is sound. Um, MS is an autoimmune disease, so it's my body destroying its own um, myelin sheath, which is the covering on your nerves. And when that that myelin sheath is completely destroyed, the nerve signals can't get through, which is what causes certain disability. So if you could stop your body attacking itself, then <clears throat> then you would you would stop the progression of the disease. That that's the theory. And the data that was coming out of the clinic in Mexico was that 80%, you had an 80% chance of halting the progression. So as far as I could see, that was a no brainer. Mm -hmm. You go, you pay your money and you travel to Mexico and you're there for a month and you have your chemotherapy and then they give you your stem cells back and then you came back. So in 2016, I went to Mexico, to Puebla in Mexico and it was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. um, that it's an amazing country with, and the people are just fantastic, and the food's pretty cool too. And it was, the chemotherapy was vile. Um, I lost all my hair, which I loved. I loved being bald. It was fabulous. Um, and then I had my stem cells back, and for a short time, for maybe eight, eight, ten months or so. I wasn't showing any progression and I was, you know, the, the, I was getting slightly better in certain aspects. Um, but then I started to progress again. So in 2019, I went back to Mexico, back to the same clinic and had the same treatment again. So more chemotherapy, more hair falling out, um, more vomiting um, than I'm I don't think I'm, I've, I've done my vomiting for my life now. That's it. I don't want to do any more. That's me done. I'm out. Thanks. Um, it was awful. And the second time round, it was much, much, much harder on my body, much mm -hmm. harder on my body because I'd already done it once in 2016. So uh, it was, yes, I was very near to death a couple of times. I got admitted to hospital in Mexico and I had blood transfusions, platelet transfusions. I was on intravenous antibiotics, intravenous antivirals, antifungals. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was pretty rough to say the least, imagine, pretty yeah. rough. Um, but I came home and now I genuinely believe that my MS has been halted. I don't believe I'm getting any worse, but then of course COVID hit. Yay, that helped. Yay. Um, and just as I started to, so I came back I was back, started work again. I went, I traveled to Mexico in June 2019. I came back to work after the August bank holiday in 2019. And then it took me from the September to about the March to get back to really where I was before I went to Mexico because I had lost so much during the chemotherapy treatment. And, you know, I'd I'd lost a lot of weight, I'd lost a lot of muscle condition, muscle tone, and I was just very, very weak. So it taken me a while to get myself built back up again. So I got myself back to where I was before I went to Mexico the second time, and then COVID hit and the gyms closed. And I remember having a conversation with the girls I shared an office with. And I said, right, 
this isn't going to do me well at all because you guys stopped going to the gym. Brendan stops going to the gym for three weeks, three months, six months, whatever it turned out to be. It's going to take you a, a length of time to get that physicality back. I was going to lose things and then not be able to get those things back, mm-hmm. um, which was very depressing to know that that I wouldn't be able to go to a gym and maintain the physicality that I'd got, that I'd just started to feel really strong again and, and doing quite well, and then COVID hit. And I appreciate why it had to happen. And obviously thousands of people have lost their lives and it, it's, it's, you know, it, it had to happen, but I knew that it would have a permanently detrimental effect on my physicality yeah. because the same as anybody else, consistency with training is key. And when you are disabled, that consistency is even more important to maintain a standing still space. I don't expect to make massive gains and increase my strength massively in the same way as Brendan's other PT clients, Mm -hmm. perhaps you would expect, but I do expect to be able to stand still. Mm-hmm. and maybe show some small gains in some areas but i knew that that wasn't going to be possible with all the gyms shut down yeah that's the thing with it so it's frustrating with the lockdowns and stuff i always think about the knock-on effect like yes there was obviously mm. so many people affected by covid but what's the knock-on effect of people affected by the lockdown like is it yeah, is was term, it worth yeah. it in total like yes there's the mental health side of things as well but also like your example the physical side of things was it worth it? Obviously, but mm. it's, it's happened, and we can't say anything about that. Yeah, no, you you can't you can't go back and, and make different decisions. But it was difficult. Um, it was difficult, mm-hmm. and because I couldn't go in and out of work every day as well because of the face mask thing, um, I was then not using my physicality as much during the day because on a normal day I would have to get up, wash, dressed, breakfast out the house, get my scooter out of the car once I got to hospital, scoot into work, do my work, come back, put the scooter back in the car and then go home. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wasn't having to do that during lockdown. I was just, I was working from home. As you can see, I was working from, from home. So I didn't have to move about as much. So that didn't help either. Mm-hmm. So it's you know multifactorial reasons why I need to try and keep moving and the gym is just one part of, of that and swimming and stuff as well. So. Yeah, it's also the mental side of the thing about getting you out and like mm. that you because you've mm. always done your sports and come to the gym, like mm. you're not only exercising yourself but your mind but also you're socialising as well. Like our sessions, yeah. we're having a little, yeah, bit, yeah, of, yeah. A little bit of yeah. crack here and there and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the big mental side of it and it's like that one yeah. thing that like, you look forward to getting out of the house during the week and stuff. Um, yeah, so, like, definitely. You, it's Yeah, I do miss not being able to get out of the house I and mean, obviously when it's miserable and pouring with yeah, rain no. it's, I'm not really that bothered about going outside but it's it's nice to be able to go out mm-hmm. when like when I can so yeah did you get much support from NHS from anybody when the gyms are shut in like throughout the whole process is there like anything sort of physio wise that they, they, they put in place for um, yourself I still I still went to see once things opened up a little bit I still maintained contact with my neurophysio um, but I have to pay for that privately because my consultant wasn't keen on 
referring me to a neurophysio in the NHS, so I pay for that privately. So I go and see Vicky. I go and see her about once every three weeks or so, mm-hmm. and I carried on doing that where I started seeing a neurophysio towards the end of the first lockdown, I guess. Um, so I'd see her and have some tips, um, but I wasn't really offered anything much in the NHS by the NHS. Yeah. Um, not really. It's a it's a tough thing to mean because there's obviously the funds and stuff like that that go into it, but like it's in, it's massively impacting like your like your kind of progression, but not even progression. You're you're regressing because of all the things that are happening, and they're not helping you out. Like I said, yeah, I understand it with the funding and stuff like that, but there's got to be something more to be done. Make things like we'll talk about about the gyms being more mm. accessible. Um, you've got like a like an online MSPT. What's his name? Yes, talk? I have. Um, yeah, Dom Thorpe he's really good i signed up for a three-month program with him um where he did an online assessment via zoom and then said right okay you need to be kind of working on this and that and the other um so i did that for three months which helped um maintain stuff during lockdown for sure um and i had i've got some little dumbbells and i've got some stretchy bands that we put on the top of the door um and a trx thing that which we hang on the top of the door so i can Mm. do bits and pieces with that it's not the same as having the gym equipment but it's better than nothing at all yeah um so i do that and he's he's really good dom's really good because he'll tailor it to whatever you are struggling with and he's very understanding of the fact that not everybody can do everything and some people are better off physically than others and some people can't do some bits of it and some people can get on and off the floor i can't get on and off the floor i can get on the floor but i can't get off the floor um so there's limited stuff that i can do on the floor so i have to do it on a bed which obviously the soft surface changes the the way you have to move about to to get muscles exercised so no he was very good and I still do some of the exercises that he said I'm not sort of a a client of his anymore because I know what exercises you know he's given me to do so I'll just every now and again do some of those Mm -hmm. um it was more the leg exercises that we struggled obviously having the equipment like the leg press leg extension even like we started doing isometric hamstring curl stuff because we couldn't quite get the full range of motion like they were the things that Mm -hmm. we missed the most because you can't do squats yeah like yeah i know yeah i can't do um a traditional squat i can't even do a squat with a ball up against a wall Mm -hmm. i would get down so far and then i'd just keep going um yeah and it's the knee the knees caving in as well that's another thing so you've happened to put the little yeah like little squishy little yoga ball thing in between the knees to make sure the knees don't yeah make sure my knees don't kiss each other yes they're because and that's that's to do with where the ms has affected me it generally affects hip flexors first Mm -hmm. so that means i have to collapse my knees in Mm -hmm. um and it means my my pelvis is anteriorly tilted which makes it difficult to do anything really mm-hmm. um makes it difficult to do squats and things so dom was getting me doing things like sit to stand so which is as close as a leg press as you can get really get or in a squat you're just sort of up and down up and down um which helped um it's it's just frustrating 
not being able to do as much as I would like to be able to do. Yeah, I know. Especially, especially even now, because obviously we've had the issue of me. I'm not at the gym, not enough your health anymore. So, and I like the gym that I've got at the minute probably isn't because we probably need cables and leg presses and stuff. Obviously, mm. down the line, I'll I'll, I'll eventually mm. hope to get that sort of stuff. Mm. And you're struggling to get find the time and the and the people at the gym at the minute yeah. can't. Yeah. Maybe there's a renowned staff I, for whatever reason. I it can't. Is. I can't just turn up to the gym and let myself into the gym and go and do a gym program mm-hmm. because brendan would I, i'd get onto the leg press i could get sat on the leg press but then i couldn't get my feet up on the plate mm-hmm. so brendan would have to move my feet onto that plate and then i'd be able to do the thing and then i'd move on to the leg curl and stuff and then you'd help with that very top end of the the curl or the yeah, extension yeah. just to make sure that i got a full range as possible motion movement and then move down to the cable machine and you would need to set up the cables for mm-hmm. me to do because I couldn't sort of stand up and lean over and change it from here and there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I can't just turn up to the gym and just go, right, I'm going to go and do an hour and a half in the gym. I need somebody there. Um, and sometimes that person needs to physically manhandle me. So moving, getting my legs on that extension. Mm-hmm. No, the hamstring curl. Oh, the machine. hamstring curl that was jammed right next to the leg extension. Yeah. You couldn't squeeze yeah. in. There was no room <laughs> just it's a <laughs> fanny on getting into it and it's like oh, if you just move my leg there no just just um, and yeah and then i'm in kind it's because the bit that was, presses on tricky. top of your thighs is always yeah, yeah. in the way it's, it's like it's it was in the way can, it's, it's yeah. even difficult to get in normally yeah yeah so i need somebody to help physically manhandle me um to let me do the things i know what i need to do so i don't need sort of personal training mm-hmm. Although obviously I'd, I'd pick anybody's brains as to, you know, well, right, okay, what else can we do, do we think? Um, but I just need somebody to help manoeuvre me around the gym mm-hmm. and move my scooter where it needs to be and go and get dumbbells if I need them because I can't just, you know, wander off over there and go mm-hmm. and get a set of dumbbells and come back again. So it, it's frustrating not having that at a gym now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've only been once in the last month yeah month and a half it's it's probably there probably is similar people in your position who don't have that accessibility mm. like we were mm. very fortunate at the time that we did have we had that one slot on a yeah, wednesday we every single week i knew yeah. i was going to be there you were going to be there yeah we could just yeah. book it in now right. that i'm yeah. not this then I'm, there's other things going on like there isn't people gyms don't have it in there place that-, that isn't like set up like obviously, it's great that, that Nuffield Health, like not a lot of gyms do have it. It's great that Nuffield Health obviously do provide that service, mm-hmm. like when they have the availability. But it's when they have the availability, there isn't like mm-hmm. an organisation or the NHS on don't have anything set up in that in place to help yourselves out. In like any other disabilities, there'll be there'll be other people like there was Ken who used to go to the gym as well. He used to have to have mm-hmm. someone to kind of help him with yeah. certain things. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. how to solve the issues that is always the and question, I've- isn't it? I've looked at other gyms as well and um, a lot of, I went to have a look at another gym and I'd, I'd like to be able to use the pool. So, and I need a hoist to get in and out the pool, which is fine. This gym had a hoist um, and they had a disabled changing room, but they had no way of being able to, for me to get from the disabled changing room to the hoist without using my electric scooter my electric scooter doesn't really like being hot and humid on poolside. Yeah. Um, it's not an ideal situation. They're like, mm. and then the doors 
from the disabled changing room, the handle to slide the door was above head height when I'm sat down. And then the door into the pool was a pull door. So that's tricky and the handle was too high above my head to be able to get my scooter and then open the door and reverse the scooter at the same time. And then the pool wasn't lifeguarded. So once they'd got me into the pool, I had no way of notifying anybody that I wanted to get out of the pool. So I thought, well, I'm not going to, to go there. Am I kind of give that one up for a bad job? Because it's just, I, I can't. It's not worth the risk. It's not worth it. Like, no, yeah, no, exactly. exactly. Um, and then other gyms have gone, oh, well, we haven't got anybody that would be able to help you around the gym or we can only do it during the day. And I work full time. So I can't do my physical exercise during the day like everybody else can't who has a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And just because I'm disabled doesn't mean to say I don't have a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's tricky. And I don't necessarily want to use my weekends up doing being at the gym because mm -hmm. you, you, know, you want to live the life that everyone else and, yeah. like Monday to Friday, yeah. right, I'll work and I'll go to the gym afterwards. And then your weekends yeah. are for family for doing other weekends things. Weekends or whatever, yeah. 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 Here we are. I know. Um, so I wonder it's, if it's it's very frustrating. Yeah, I wonder if it's kind of better down south. I don't know if it's just the gyms up north because I know in terms of like no, I don't know what it's like down south because there's probably a, I know there's a lot more like Nuffield House and stuff like that mm. that are down there, which may be a little bit more accessible. But I know up north, like and, we've got we've got very limited, yeah, big sort of leisure centre health club facility like, that would have the pool and the gym mm. and stuff and, mm. and the people to mm. kind of facilitate what. what and I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable for me to want to have an active you know to, to go to the gym and do stuff like that because it is so beneficial for me mentally and physically and then if I can maintain my physicality that means I'm not using the NHS as much as I would do if I was more unhealthy mm -hmm. um, and and you know suffering more with my mobility so it's it's um it yeah it which came first, the chicken or the egg. And I need to maintain my physicality, but I don't know how to do that because I need the help to, to help me do it. And that help's not available mm -hmm. always or consistently. And consistency yeah, it's the consistency that we talked mm -hmm. about. It's the consistency with yourself. They're trying to make sure that like, mm -hmm. like I said, when we had them weeks back to back, we would yeah. constantly just get little progressions yeah. like little here progressions, and there. Yeah. Um, until it was warm weather, that was it was the it was weird how the cold. That you was, say the cold massively helps you, and I used to be absolutely helped. freezing in that gym with my yeah. hoodies on and stuff, aircon blasting. I went to a lake at the weekend, and it was a reasonably warm day, and we'd been sat in a car for an hour, and um, I struggled to to get in walk into the lake. Um, I needed James to help me in, and then we had a. Um, like a little chair that I held onto and just used it a bit like a, a Zimmer frame to get me into the water. Once I was in the water, I was fine. Um, and then getting out because I'd been in the cold water, the water was 19 degrees and I was only in a swimsuit because I was cold and I was starting to shiver. I walked out. I just got up and held onto the rocks and just sort of crab walked sideways. Significantly better than you've ever seen me walk. And then I got back onto my scooter and scooted up to the car, got changed, folded the scooter up, no problems at all, because I was cold. And then we went to the cafe and I stood in the queue whilst, and, and you know, ordered 
hot chocolate and cake and, and all the rest all of the it. Stuff. And then walked back, yeah, all the health <laughs> stuff, walked back to the, the table and sat down. But once I'd had my hot drink and my piece of cake, I was back to being wobbly Joe again. So it does make a massive difference. Do you know the reason behind cold. it? Do you know the, the science behind it or not? Um, in my head, it's because when when anything warms up, it gets excited. So all of the molecules move faster. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this in your chemistry. Yeah, yeah, Everything good. kind of jiggles around a bit, a bit faster. So that's the same with the nerve impulses through your body. So when you're warm, everything moves that much faster. And because my myelin sheath is damaged in key areas, the nerve impulse goes so fast it loses something in translation it's not picked up at the other end because it 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 can't mm-hmm. catch it somehow that it's it's going too fast somehow that's kind of how i think of it in my head mm-hmm. and then when i cool down when i get cold everything slows down ever so slightly and that mini goes oh i get what you mean now i understand yeah. what you want me to do so it's sort of like a, a lost in translation thing that that just seems to work better when i'm when I'm colder. Have you tried, like, but yes, when the gym is very warm, it's yeah. Have you tried like cryotherapy and stuff like that? The elbow stuff. No, they generally put you in maybe. Small oh yeah, they do. Don't that's not ideal. That is it. You need. Do you know who Wim Hof is? You know Wim yes. Hof. You need to be best pals yes. with him. You still can go like go and dips in yes. the in glaciers and one while ago. He does. Ice. My friend, my friend James does Wim Hof, and he can now hold his breath for over five minutes. Really? Which is really, which is impressive. Yeah. And he was free diving in the lake that we went to, so he was hauling himself to the bottom of the lake, um, just to sit on the bottom of. Yeah, the Yeah, it's lake crazy what your body can do. Scuba divers. Yeah. Mm. It's absolutely mad. Yeah. He, he not only does like cold challenges, but he done things like he ran a marathon in the desert without any water, like random things just to prove people wrong. Because people are like, oh, he's the ice man. He can only do stuff in the ice. Oh no! He, he, right, and he the... did it in the heat as well. Oh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't realize. I, it was in a podcast that he, like he's a very like extravagant man when you listen to yes. him speaking. Yes. So he was. It was yeah, on a podcast. I can't remember which podcast it was, but he was. Uh, he was talking about the podcast. But it's crazy. Uh, I didn't realize he'd done that. one. Well. I knew he'd done the cold water stuff, and he'd kind of settled himself and got into really cold water and the coldest water i've been in is 0.4 degrees yeah so that was a bit nippy and that was in, just in my swimsuit yeah wee bit nippy i can imagine <laughs> what <laughs> is there any other things oh what's the little copper is it copper coins copper thing? um the yeah the tail patches yeah talk us, yeah. Talk us a bit i find that. i find that they have worked there um if i was good i'd be able to tell you what the science was behind it they're little liquid crystal tabs i've got one here actually there we go for people who are if they're watching on youtube they'll be able to see it there we go does that thing that's um it's i've dropped the other one on the floor never mind um the little tiny liquid crystal type things which is supposed to key into your body's uh system somehow and i have found that it's um, improved my balance some people say it's a scam even if i stuck five pence coins to my body and it improved my balance i wouldn't care they're not them I mean, they are quite expensive but not prohibitively so um but if it works it works it's helped my balance i wear one here and then one on the back of my neck um and it just helps me with my balance a bit more mm-hmm. it doesn't cure it it doesn't make it go away it just it just 
helps a little bit with the balance. And I've got sometimes wear them on um, an adductor on the inside of my thigh. I've worn one on a glute where it's been a little bit twitchy and it just settles the twitchings and pain down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Even if it's placebo, but, if it works. Well, yeah, exactly. Matter. Even if it's a placebo, it doesn't matter, does it? If, say, if I stuck five pence coins to me, then, and it worked, then, you know, you take it. what difference does it make? If it, exactly, you'd take it. Yeah. So some people think it's a scam. I found them to be beneficial, um, and it stopped my legs twitching overnight, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so do they work? Who knows? Does mm-hmm. it matter? Not really. Yeah, if, it, really. if I feel it's helping, then you know, then then it's a good thing, isn't it? So yeah, definitely. Is there anything you have to focus on nutrition-wise? Anything that kind of aggravates anything, flames, um, anything? I've found fizzy drinks aren't very good. Um, sometimes my bladder can be somewhat um, overactive, and and it, I can't hurtle to the loo in the same way <laughs> as everybody else can. So I just have to be mindful not to have sugary drinks and things because it it doesn't help Mm -hmm. it it can be a a bit um yeah i just i just try and stay away from fizzy drinks for that reason it just makes my bladder a bit overactive which isn't it isn't great (laughs) um and generally i like to try and stay healthy there are um some people who say that there's different types of diets help better some people are gluten-free dairy-free my friend's gluten-free dairy-free um because he finds it it's better for his stomach that way i don't seem to suffer with that although if i have a lot of cheese i I tend to be a bit more wobbly i found recently Mm -hmm. than so if i had a massive cheese and pickle sandwich i'd be a bit wobbly in that afternoon um so i've just been trying to avoid huge amounts of cheese that's not to say all cheese because i do still have um pizza which has obviously got cheese on it yeah unless you have pizza i don't have like you know chunk of cheese Mm -hmm. over anything so um generally i think as long as i maintain a relatively healthy diet so lots of fresh fruit and vegetables and you know fairly low fat foods but i'm not one for restricting if i want a piece of cake i will have a piece hey of you've got to enjoy yourself exactly especially so, if you've been swimming yes, in the lake in the freezing cold it kind of goes without saying that you need a, need cake it's, it's the law <laughs> if joe says you need cake you need cake never mind my diet plan that i write yet just never you need cake, cake. <laughs> it's important you have cake in your life <laughs> it's official perfect it's official yeah, yeah. so in terms of things that have massively helped you from obviously the time that you were diagnosed mentally would you say keeping your mind active excluding that to the side what else has helped you because obviously there would have been some very dark times obviously you had a lot of periods that when your husband passed away and all that sort of stuff friends friends and having a good social support network outside of work and um life so I've got some fantastic friends that have helped me through some very dark times that I've had one way or another. You know, life life isn't all fluffy clouds and unicorns, is it? It can be rubbish at times. So I've got some absolutely fantastic friends um, who really 
have helped through various difficult times. And I think that's very important to understand that no man is an island. You can't kind of go through life dealing with everything on your own. And we all should all have a fairly good support network. And it doesn't mean to say that you have to bore all of your friends with all of your troubles all of the time. Because I know I've got some friends I'll go to for some things and others if I want something else. You, you kind of have, you, I guess you play on the strengths of, of what your friends can offer you at the time. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I know I want a shoulder to cry on, I'll go to one friend or I want to discuss this, I'll go to somebody because they've had experience in this or, you know, you just just use use and abuse your friends because that's kind of what they're there for because you would want them to do that with you if if they were struggling you'd want them to come to you and go look you know i'm struggling can you give me some help or whatever well the same thing happens i think friendships are very important mm -hmm. um definitely um and having a supportive um friendship circle and a supportive partner and everything is is very important because you can't deal with everything all on your own mm -hmm. it's it's just you need that that venting sometimes you just sometimes you just want to go and have a rant at how rubbish work is or how rubbish your boyfriend's being or whatever it is or how rubbish your ms is and it's just nice to go and get that off your chest from time to time i've also would like to have um some psychotherapy counseling therapy type counseling but I can't find anywhere that's wheelchair accessible. Ah, so again, thing. this is another thing that's I'm struggling with is um, I would very much like to go and have that professional space to, to talk about some issues that, you know, that cropped up during life as they do, but I can't find anywhere that will have me and my scooter mm -hmm. in. Um, so I've emailed about a dozen people and all of them have come back and said, oh, no, really sorry, we haven't got an accessible room. Surely so, the, you're like someone who's yeah. going to need it the most as well with the yeah. things you've been yeah. through and they can't, oh, yeah. uh, they've got to be a way, put a bloody ramp in, they're probably making that much money, they can put a ramp in, they can do That's something. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, some therapy rooms are above places like shops or yeah, something, so, you know, that's not, and, you know, so I've, I've, I have a few more to try. Um, but it's it's not been easy. And sometimes people say, oh, yes, we're fully accessible, apart from the step at the front. Right. Yeah, bit of so an you're not fully accessible then, really, are you? Yeah. And I know some wheelchairs, you can bump up small steps. My scooter will do small curbs and stuff, but I don't really want to have to struggle to get into somewhere with a step like this kind of you know get my scooter up it's I'd, no. it would just be nice just to not have to fight for accessibility to everything yeah i was going to ask the next question was going to be what one one thing would you kind of ask for a bit more of support or would it be a bit make places more accessible what one thing do you think you need more help with i think people need to have an understanding of what accessible means and I was guilty of this as much as the next person. When I was able-bodied, I didn't understand what being disabled meant and what was required. And you look at a space as an able-bodied person and go, well, there's handholds, there's a ramp, you know, what, what's 
not why is that not accessible but it's not accessible to different types of people or it can be accessible for some disabilities but not others what about those that are hard of hearing or those that have got impaired eyesight or you know not one disabled accessible fits everybody um it can be there can be challenges and i've found with disabled toilets sometimes they're down corridors where you can't there isn't enough real room to to turn my scooter mm -hmm. so i've had to get off and sort of physically manhandle it in or the disabled toilets are so small that my scooter gets stuck mm -hmm. because the door opens inwards it's it, it's little things that people don't really think about the gym is is very good because it is accessible level entry and then there's a lift and that's fab um but the pool the hoist is where it is and that's fine but nuffield are very good and they got me um self-propelled wheelchair so that mm -hmm. i can get from the disabled changing room to the hoist without using my scooter because i don't i don't want my scooter battery to be ruined by the the humidity in the in the yeah. pool area so i guess it's awareness of what accessibility really means mm -hmm. and i think for businesses and things they should really engage with their disabled customers the disabled clients whatever disabled patients if you're in a hospital to to really understand what accessibility means for that mm -hmm. particular person or what could be done to improve the accessibility yeah. in certain areas think about the spaces between bits of kit and the gym yeah that that gap between the leg extension and the leg curl is very narrow and you know, yes, I can shuffle it through it, but then I have to get myself in, a, in an awkward position to get into it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's just having an overall awareness of how difficult it might be for all different types of, of people. And it's not easy to do because until you are disabled, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. And that's that's the that's the problem is mm -hmm. you don't know what you don't know it's just businesses and companies and gyms whatever giving client feedback like asking for it like that's what like i do it with like some of my clients and stuff i think oh is there anything like with my online service that you can think i could do yeah. better with or like my gym is there anything that you would like to see yeah. in here same with like yeah. the clientele especially yeah. like you want to return to go and see a therapist like if they really want to actually help people like what, what ask them like what what do you think we need or is there anything that we're missing here always thinking about stuff yeah. Because they might yeah. they might be missing that one one or maybe two people who really do need the help that might not be set up to kind of satisfy all their needs and they might be actually missing yeah. like something. Could, not yeah, not everywhere can be expected to be entirely accessible for every person, but I think there needs to be an understanding that they need to tell people when it isn't. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a member of a Facebook group for. Um, disabled open water swimmers or adaptive and disabled open water swimmers and there's a, a location in Manchester Docklands where yes they they say they're kind of accessible but the only way to get out of the water is on a ladder uh. which isn't mentioned until you get there so somebody's sort of emailed them and said well actually it would be better if you just mentioned at the outset that the accessibility restrictions that we have are yes we've got a level en entry to the water or whatever but the only way to get out is on a on a ladder and then that you can the person who is disabled can then make 
a judgment call whether they think it's accessible for them mm -hmm. and so just having an awareness of of what somebody might need to know about somewhere like yeah. the distance from the disabled car parking to the building or how many steps there is up if there's handholds for those steps is there a ramp mm -hmm. just being more just putting more on websites and more images of things on websites just so that people can see what the accessibility is like some places are really good um, museums are quite good at putting what their accessibility stuff is like mm -hmm. um, but not everywhere is and it's okay for places to be not accessible because you know buildings that were built in the 1100s 1200s really old castles and things with spiral staircases mm -hmm. you're not going to be expected to put in a ramp to get you to the turrets at the top yeah. you know it's you've got to be realistic but just to know where there's accessibility issues and where they have done things to to make things mm -hmm. easier for yeah. people. 100%. To be fair, I wouldn't have think of a lot of things until obviously working with yourself. Mm -hmm. Maybe mm -hmm. say like if I'm opening my own gym order, I would want your input like, right, what would you want here? Like, what could they, yeah. I, I wouldn't have probably thought about that in, 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 until obviously I met you. No. So you can completely no. understand where people come from, but it's just yeah. thinking about it, it is, the wide yeah. audience and yeah. who you can really You don't affect. know what you don't know. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know unless you've you have um had experience of somebody with a disability you're not going to know what they need and what i need is very different to what somebody else with ms needs or somebody who is blind or partially sighted needs mm -hmm. so you there isn't one size fits all for disabled gym goers or disabled swimmers or even disabled people in in the public there there isn't one size fits all but having an open conversation about what that person needs is a start mm -hmm. no 100% uh, there's one last question I want to ask before we jump on to the little final three, three questions, questions. the oh. three questions that you've looked at the three yes. questions what so going back to it kind of relates to the last question of the three what do you think the biggest mindset shift that you've had since Joe before, I don't want to call it like that, Joe before MS and mm. Joe now, After. what in terms of learning mindset shift towards life and thoughts towards life itself? Um, I think I'm a lot more pragmatic now. Mm -hmm. um, I think I probably got myself up in, in, certainly when I was younger at school, I'd get myself wound up about exams and stuff apparently i used to make myself quite ill around worrying about exams and things which seems ridiculous now really um because i failed my a levels but i, I still have a master's degree so does it really matter you know mm -hmm. kind of um i don't know I don't, I, i'm not sure my mindset has changed dramatically because i was always reasonably confident and I'd go out and do things I wanted to do and seek out opportunities to do things mm -hmm. um, so I don't think my mindset's changed massively but I'm very much more I'm not going to put off until tomorrow what I can do today because I don't know if that tomorrow will ever come mm -hmm. or my tomorrow might not be the same as it was today mm -hmm. um, so I, you know if I've got if I can do something today, then I would like to try and do it today mm -hmm. rather than go, oh, I'll do it next week. Oh, I'll do it next week. 
Yeah, I like I like that attitude because I feel like I need I need to adopt that a little bit more because everyone's in like, especially in sort of business world, self employed thing. You're always kind of planning for that next step ahead and planning for like, right, I need to save money to for me like get a gym or do this that and the other. Whereas like, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Like if there's something that you want to do yeah. now, like maybe I've always wanted to go and see somewhere or whatever, but I'm like, no, no, I can't do that. I need to save 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 money for for this. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna end up keep on saving 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 yourself for this. Thing that's going to happen in five ten years time but you're never actually going to live in the in the moment you're never yeah. going to yeah like, it's the it's like the, the old say i can't remember the exact same but it's like what's the point in working all your life for a life that you're never really going to have like there's yeah. no point in kind of yeah. having that mindset with things definitely so, adopt there's definitely. got to be a little aspect of it like oh right, i need to like save myself or something but living in the moment is, is something yeah i think i think, I I think you more. yeah don't be reckless about mm-hmm. what you do now but on the other hand don't do think don't not do things because you're worried about a future event mm-hmm. there is there is only now you you can't you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow there's no point living yesterday because yesterday was yesterday and you can't change what happened yesterday there is only now mm-hmm. and you no. can only do what you can do now but don't put off what you can do now until tomorrow mm-hmm. because tomorrow is a different day lovely stuff come on then we'll get on the th- three final questions I'll give you a bit of time there, because you already you already knew these three questions because you listened yeah, to a few of my podcasts. Yeah, I did because I watched your podcast. You've had prep yeah, for yeah, them. Exactly. Extra prep. I've had prep. I know. Come on then. Right. First one. Three people you'd like to invite round for dinner or go for go out for a coffee and cake with. Go for in your and ca- coffee and cake. Coffee and yeah. a cake. Double it up. Past or present. Past or present. Past or present. I think oh. I came up with three. Yeah. And. They're quite, quite varied. I think you're going to go with they're quite varied. Go on then. The first one is Bernadette Banner, and she's a YouTuber. And I can go down a YouTube rabbit hole like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I found Bernadette. Oh, I can't remember now. A while ago, a year ago, or so ago, I think. And she's a seamstress basically, but she she used to live in in America. Used to live in New York in the garment district, and she used to make costumes for stage and and theatre productions but now she is more she reconstructs clothes from the from history but her period is Victorian England so from the 1890s 1880s and she makes the most beautiful clothes hand stitched so she makes these beautiful 1890s dresses and garments from undergarments upwards so from chemises and corsetry to everything on top and she makes it all by hand and sometimes all of it like hand sewing and although she she does use her little 1890s singer sewing machine and to watch her sew these tiny 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 little seams and tiny tiny little stitches when my fingers can't even do buttons is a joy to watch it's it's very therapeutic and she makes the most beautiful garments so I'd like to go for dinner with her because she she just sounds like a lot of fun she'll have a lot of knowledge I'm I enjoy history I enjoy corsetry and um, the history of clothing and stuff like that so I think she'd be a fab person to go for cake with and she seems to like cake because she often go. has cake on her everyone, everyone's got if you don't like cake I don't like cake I know exactly 
So that one, that was probably my first one. I jumped to her immediately. And then I thought, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, so then I went with Fred Dibner because I really quite like a good stationary engine and a good steam roller. I like to go to fairs where there's like steam engines and stuff. My father used to have a stationary engine when I was a child. So we used to go around fairs um, from time to time. And I just like the noise and the sound and, and all the engineering that goes in. So my father's an electrical engineer. So I've kind of got that history, that enjoyment of engineering from him, I guess. So he was another, I think he'd be quite, quite fun to, to talk to about his, obviously he's dead now, but all of his experiences and how much life has changed from when he was a boy. It'd be great to, to bring him back to life so that he can see what, what technology is now and then compare it to how it was when he was my age or mm -hmm. um, whatever. So I think that would be quite good. And the other one is Albert Pierpoint. And you won't know who he no, is. <laughs> He's England's last hangman. Oh. Yeah, wow. um, I read a book a few years ago, A Diary of a Hangman, and it was fascinating. And it sort of went into the the nitty gritty of how one goes about hanging an individual in, in prisons, but also the psychology behind it and what you need, who you need to be as a person to be able to do that job mm -hmm. and what, what things you need to, yeah, it was, it was fascinating. And I think he would be to talk about the psychology and how it affected him and other hangmen, how, how that taking of another person's life affected them psychologically. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah. You'd have to just shut it out, wouldn't you? Unless you've well, just got yeah, someone who's got yeah, no remorse and no emotion. But there is people like that. They do it very, very quickly. From, so from the time that the hangman enters the room where the prisoner is to the time the prisoner is dead is a matter of minutes. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's very, very short space of time, but they have to make sure prisoner obviously capital punishment you know it's not a thing anymore but they had to make sure that the prisoner was was dispatched as quickly as possible so that it was as less distressing for everybody as possible mm -hmm. so there was quite complicated calculations about how how far they had to drop to break their neck um it all to do with their weight and and yeah. how high they have fall they have to fall because they didn't want they wanted it to be as painless as possible as yeah. as efficient but as nobody really knows how painful it's actually it actually is Shoot, no. there's no way of actually knowing because you can't make no, bring someone isn't. back but, no but if you don't do it well you strangle somebody yeah. which is unpleasant whereas yeah. if you do it well you snap their neck and that's that's fairly quick. So he would be a fascinating individual to have supper with, that I is, feel. That is a very interesting trio. That's that very is. random. That question, is what cake would you have? That's the question, actually. That's enough, what that's, cake? Well, it'd have to be carrot cake, I think. Carrot cake. Like lovely, carrot cake. lovely. I love a carrot cake. Right, yeah. question number two. Because I'm obviously a personal trainer. Yes. See, who would you like to train with? Three people. Yeah. I, had to, I had to keep the questions in. Who would you have want to, to train with? In. Yeah. Um, Eddie the Beast Hall. Yeah. because he just doesn't take himself far too seriously at all, does he? Yeah. 
a friend of mine said I should watch the video he did with Niall Wilson when Niall Wilson, who's the gymnast, gymnast yeah. taught him how to do a backflip. And that was just hilarious because he was wearing a pink leotard. Have you seen it? I don't think I've seen of it, but oh, I haven't actually it's watched hilarious. it. It it and he did. Niall Wilson managed to get him to do a backflip. Yeah. And that's pretty impressive given A, how tall he is and how big mm. Eddie Hall is. Um, but he doesn't take himself seriously. And that's what I quite like about him. And I've seen the the other video where Niall Wilson went to do some strongman stuff with Eddie Hall. And they were just having a right laugh. And I just think it would be a bit of a laugh, really. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't take himself too seriously. And, yeah. and I like that because he could he could be very much of, you know, see strongman is a, is, can be a serious thing, but he just doesn't seem to take himself seriously. Yeah. He takes the training seriously, but not himself, which yeah. I think is... He's just a normal fun. bloke from, from Stoke. No yeah, one, exactly. I think that's where he's from. I think and it's Stoke, isn't it? Yeah, he, d- he just seems like a bit of a laugh, really. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was him. Go so on. the next one, I'm going to go with Lewis Pugh. You won't know who he is. Lewis Pugh, no, I don't know who that is. Swimmer, and he's South African, and he is currently swimming across the mouth of the the fastest moving glacier in the world to highlight um climate change and stuff because obviously the the rising waters if if the glaciers melts is is a bit of a bit of a serious situation so he's he's swimming skins just in his swimming trunks and a smile through through across the and it's got a really i wouldn't even know how to pronounce it it's it's a, a glacier and it, it moves at 40 meters a day, this glacier. So it's, it's moving quite fast. Mm-hmm. So there's only limited opportunities for him to be able to swim in open water where he's not going to get knocked about by ice flow coming past. Yeah. And he's got some amazing videos on his uh, Facebook about, you know, because it's obviously a little bit nippy, a little bit nippy. Yeah. And he swallows um, um, a thermometer every day so that they can track what his internal body uh, temperature right. is so that they have a better idea of because obviously it's it's just above freezing the water mm-hmm. so and he's in it for sort of 40 a, minutes a long time i know yeah That's so crazy, he, that. i think he'd be impressive and i've seen him speak or i've heard him speak um at an event in the lake district a chill swim event in the lake district and he was fairly inspiring as to what makes him tick and and his passion for climate change and stuff so i think he'd be pretty cool to train train with love that so love that number two number two number three is also a swimmer and he's martin strell mm-hmm. and he swam the lengths of the amazon from start to finish god um and that came with all manner of huge barriers to overcome language, lots of different tribes, beasties, creepy crawlies. I was going to say, is there crocodiles? Crocodiles in that, yeah? Yeah, you name it. There was stuff he had to overcome to, to do that, and he did it. And um, it's, oh, It was flow-assisted, but it's still thousands and thousands of miles. Mm. It's a ridiculous length of time. And he had a massive team support network behind him. Um, and that's the same with, with Lewis Pugh, is that he's got a massive 
set of people behind him. He does the swim, but he's got all these people supporting him, um, which is which is kind of what you need in life, isn't it? You need all these people to help support mm. you through life. Through life. Yeah. So those are the three people that I would train with. I did this tall because he'd be hilarious. <laughs> Lewis Pugh and um, Martin Strell. Perfect. I love that. Come on then. Last question. One thing that you would say to yourself 10 years ago? I've been trying to decide what to do, what to say about this since I watched your podcast last week going, oh God, I don't know. Um, because I'm not one for regrets, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or not regrets or, you know, what? If I'm very much of seize the day, really. If I want to do something, I'll do it. Um, so there isn't anything much in my life that I can think of that I'd wish I'd done. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I really don't know. Um, and I, I know that's not an answer, is it? But I don't know. I don't know what I'd say. Hello, maybe? <laughs> nice little introduction. Hello. Would Hi, you Joel. Like some cake? <laughs> cool. Would you like some cake? <laughs> that's kind of, you know, yeah. don't not eat cake. I, I, I genuinely don't know. And I have been trying to set my mind to it since last week since your podcast last week um but i I genuinely can't think other than maybe seize the day that's kind of but i've always been like that Mm -hmm. you know don't don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today if you want to do something find a way to do it Mm -hmm. i think that's probably just just be joe just keep doing what you're doing yeah just Just keep keep doing what i'm doing and yeah just keep doing what i'm doing and don't pass up opportunities when they arise, I guess. Because mm-hmm. you never know what will, what will come from it. So. Perfect. I quite like that answer. Of... I quite like that. The fact that you don't know what... Because you're in that sort of mindset, you can tell that it's just... Just take things as it comes and... Yeah, just, keep on, just yeah. kind of don't... Try not to stress and fret about past or future and mm-hmm. just do what you want to do, really, I suppose. No, I love that. Mm-hmm. Lovely way to wrap up. Well, it was an absolute <laughs> pleasure, Joe. I'm so glad we've done yeah, this. It was fab. Really, yeah. really glad we've done this. Really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, I'll tag your Instagram in the comments in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. If anybody would like to check out Joe, some of the things that we've been doing um, in our sessions, but we need to we need to try and organise something, find yeah. some sort of way to get back to it down the line because I've missed yeah, the sessions yeah. and I missed the missed the chats yeah, about yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I yeah I've missed the. The crack for sure, definitely. Yeah. I've missed the training as well, but mm-hmm. I have definitely missed missed the crack. So it's nice to see your face. Oh, thank you very much. I'll have to when, when we wrap up the podcast. I'll have to introduce you to the. Uh, to, you haven't seen Little Lola yet, have you? No, I haven't. Before, no, 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 I'll have, no, to, I have to show you that. But like I said, yeah. your your story is massively inspiring. If people listening to this don't be like get inspired by it or or anything, but if you can share the podcast around with a friend, anybody, I'm sure you'll share it on Facebook. I'll share it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's on YouTube. Um, spread the word and hopefully there might be people out there who can maybe listen to this who maybe suffer from MS or any other mm. disabilities themselves who can kind of relate to it and maybe reach out and yeah. something good as long as it affects one person yeah. I always say as long so, as the podcast puts a smile on one yeah. person's face does anything positive then I'm, I'm then, happy yeah then we're happy yeah but yeah. no thank Fab. you very much Joe it's been an absolute right. pleasure my pleasure see you later